0: Welcome to Get Down to College Business. We will identify strategies that could make the difference between keeping university doors open and closing them for good. I'm pulling in business experts and higher ed leaders to debate the merits of strategies that could save the future of higher ed. I'm your host, Sarah Holton, PhD. Let's get down to college business. Hi, everyone. This is Sarah Holton, PhD, and your host on Get Down to College Business. I've got another Sarah joining me today. Our guest is Sarah Mayo, the Vice President of Marketing and Communication for the Wisconsin Center District. She was recognized as the 2021 CMO of the Year from the Milwaukee Business Journal and a notable CMO from the Biz Times. She was recently acknowledged as a Feminist of the Year, and she co-chaired the 2021 Tempo Milwaukee Signature Event, the most successful in their history. And that's actually how we met through Tempo, and we actually serve on a committee together. So welcome,
1: Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Other Sarah, the more the merrier. Yeah, there's always two of us in a room.
0: (laughs) All right, so Sarah, you and I have been talking about a lot of things marketing and college related, and today, you know, we know that most colleges are seeing a decline in enrollment, but it's actually not a universal problem. Selective colleges with strong brands saw enrollment increases the past two years. Less selective colleges with weak brands saw enrollment decreases. And that's according to an October article of Inside Higher Ed. Today we're tackling the big questions of, what is the ROI of a strong brand? And what does a strong brand for a college look like? What does it take to get there in an era of reduced resources? So you've been a brand expert with uh, experience in both for-profit and nonprofit organizations. So it kind of makes you uniquely qualified to tackle this kind of a topic. And I want to open with the obvious question. What's a brand?
1: I love that question. First of all, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love, love, love that question. And let me back up and just say, I will never represent to you that I am the smartest person in the room. I do a lot of seeking to learn in other places. And I'm prefacing all that to say, I learned this or I took this particular phrase of exactly what is a brand. I took it from an episode of another podcast I was listening to, Hidden Brain, and it was so succinct and so crystal clear. It just hit me and I have internalized it and really memorized it ever since. And it's very simple. Here we go. Ready? I'm ready. A brand is a promise to deliver on values. So values is at the heart of this. Bingo. A brand is a promise to deliver on values. So whereas you think you're looking at the brand, you're feeling the brand, what you're actually feeling is the promise from that enterprise, that entity, that school, that shoemaker, that beverage company to deliver on their values that you know to anticipate from them.
0: So which stakeholder in a college's grouping of stakeholders, all the demographics that they serve, who do you think kind of exemplifies this the most?
1: Honestly, I think it starts in one place, but it has to be a value system that is adoptable and adaptable across multiple audiences. So for the higher ed setting, I think it really starts in the administration. You have to have leadership who can clearly identify those values and then start to delineate and delegate action items so that the students start to feel it and so that the alumni start to feel it and so the professors start to feel it and that is how you start to move this gigantic cog of brand awareness And it's one of those things, you know, just like joy and just like something else, it flows downhill. So if the top brass does not live it, breathe it, embody it, it's just simply not going to be successful.
0: Well, that makes sense. So how do you know, like, can you analyze an organization and say they've got a strong brand or they've got a weak brand? Like, what does it look like
1: for those? There are lots of different touch points that can represent a strong brand over a weak brand and really, in this day and age, it's through experiences. And it's the way that you, as a representative of your enterprise, how are you touching the people around you? And who are your audiences? How are you using that value system to reach out to those different audiences? For example, in my world right now today, I know I have a minimum of 12 to 15 different audiences. And that means that it's incumbent upon me In my enterprise and in my work to take our three brand values and just think of how they apply to each of those individual audiences in their own way. And so that starts to snowball over time. And that's another thing that it's just really important to me to emphasize is that this is not an overnight plan. Brands are not magical. They don't just pop out of the ground. They're not like a chia pet or like. You know, weeds in your garden, they are very carefully curated and nurtured over time. And the reason that that might get tricky over time is if you have perhaps a change in leadership, any change in the top, board affiliations, things like that. As people are coming in, they need to be indoctrinated to what the brand is and how we live it. And then with a change of leadership, if the brand values don't translate from one to the next, you are really going to be in a rut because you've put all this effort in over however much time to identify your audiences, identify your values, establish the manners in which you're going to activate to all of those different folks, and then it just drops. And that's very detrimental and I think super painful for everyone involved, especially those who are Drinking the Kool-Aid and working really hard to represent that brand, and then it changes. It just kind of feels like a thud. So building something that is almost bigger than any individual—easier said than done. But that is that's the dream.
0: So I'm hearing you say when you say over time, you mean years. I do. This yes, isn't even correct. like a quarterly target that we can aim for. This is we'll move the needle slowly. In a direction.
1: Certainly. And it should be analyzed and do your checks quarterly. Check in with every audience. Check in with yourselves. Do we still believe this? Of course we do. Okay, great. How are we activating on that? So really high frequency touch points and making sure that you're delivering on those values. Because that is what builds your brand. But it's these little mini moments over time that snowball and aggregate to the big brand feel
0: so, college marketing departments should be a kind of eyes wide open. This is long-term goals. So, if our brand is not where we want it, it doesn't matter how much we work on this for twelve months. We probably won't see much, you know, progress or improvement in the direction we want it to go. For
1: yeah, it could. It certainly could be so years. Patience, big time. And but also, you know, look for actively look for the moments where it is taking hold a little bit sooner than you thought. I mean, you know, for us, I will tell you. We started in at the Wisconsin Center District with our three brand values, which are to be bold, to be proud and to be experience obsessed. We launched those in the spring of 2019. And it was really originally intended to be guardrails for our part-time staff, so the folks who truly have simultaneously the most face-time and interaction with everyday guests, but also perhaps the least interaction with the administrative side. These folks are working, you know, 20 hours a week, 20 hours a month. I mean, these are great positions for folks who want lower commitment, but at the same time, we have to trust them to be able to act in the moment. Previous to the current administration, they were simply not. Information was sort of withheld. It was used as a weapon. It was, not only was it not ideal, it was very detrimental to the brand. And so we've launched these three values when our new CEO came in and they were really driven by him. So starting at the top, truly. And they were, like I said, intended to act as guardrails for this part-time staff to work within. So when you're in this moment and a customer is in front of you and they're freaking out about something that is very legitimately wrong for them, how do you fix it? Well, you use these three values as your filter. Did you act in a way that was bold in a way that was proud, in a way that was experience-obsessed. And I might not agree with what you did in terms of the action, but if you can tell me wholeheartedly that that's what you did, I will support you all day long. That over time builds that loyalty and the trust between the employee and the administration, the employee and the company. So there's all kinds of goodness there. But the point is, those are the moments that you need to capture, and we were looking to do that, and we launched it in 19, and we're off and running, and then one year later, whammo, right? Wait, what happened? Oh, I forgot to tell you, there was a global Don't pandemic. Say it. Don't say it. <laughs> oh no, sorry. <laughs> the thing, the thing happened. So here's what happened with our brand. Unbeknownst to me or anyone else who was working so hard to start to administer it and get this ball rolling, this brand and these three core values started to drip through our entire organization in the best possible way. And it turned out – it really turned into almost a rallying cry among the staff as we work to negotiate our way and navigate our way through this weird thing and how do we cope with this. And our job is to own and operate venues that serve as places for people to gather, not ideal <laughs> during <laughs> not isolate. a pandemic. right? And so it's one part, of course, how do we manage the business, how do we keep people safe who still need to gather for whatever reason, what do we do with our staff how do we met? i mean it's a lot of the same things that many others went through but in our own way and realistically the values to be bold proud and experience obsessed served not only as a rallying cry among the staff but also as guardrails for for us as leadership administrators and how do we make decisions for everyone else that we are suddenly very responsible for in a way that we just hadn't been before that
0: I want to go back to what I think is really at the crux of what our listeners can really gather some good resource information from. Tell me about how you measure your brand. Like how, what are those metrics that you actually analyze? I'm picturing you in front of a computer with like a (laughs) dashboard, some Excel sheets. Like tell me about those metrics and tell me how you know you're on the right track versus, ooh, course correct. Mm -hmm.
1: I wish it could be boiled down to a spreadsheet. That would be so much simpler. Oh, I wait. Oh, man. Yes, let's do that. So realistically, this type of brand development and administration is measured indirectly. And for us, it's measured employee retention and turnover. It's measured in sales. And it's measured in annual employee engagement surveys, which we issue to our staff. To check in with them and see how are we doing? We think we are really sensational. You might think that we really stink. So tell us the truth. And those are really the ways that we, that we measure the success of what we're doing, whether it's right or wrong. And I know that that's a very unsatisfying answer to scientists and to people who love hard data. And I am among the proud. I, I love that hard data too. It's much easier to measure hard data when you're buying a broadcast flight or when I'm administering digital impressions. Okay, I can see exactly where those are. What I need to see is what's happening at the bottom. You know, I don't want to see the gross. Great, but where are we netting out? And if we are netting out with lower turnover, more employee engagement and higher sales, then it's working
0: So I think we can safely draw that parallel between colleges that are seeing enrollment declines at greater and higher rates than we would expect, that that is a sign for sure of a weak brand, which is kind of what we had started this whole conversation with. So we can't actually measure brand in neat and tidy ways yet.
1: Well, I can't. I'm sure there are people much smarter than me who have figured that one out. But no, it can be, you know, it's murky. Understand. Communication usually I was just going to
0: say that. (laughs) As a calm person myself. (laughs) So what's your strategy to back up your brand marketing?
1: Our brand really is focused on starting with the employee and engagement among the staff. And so honestly, it's less direct marketing and more comms. And that has been such a unique trajectory and a unanticipated journey for us since 2020, the way that people reached out to us as a resource and as a subject matter expert during the pandemic, all of a sudden nothing was more important than employee internal communications, nothing. And so, you know, we were just writing and pumping out content that was not original, but finding credible sources and repurposing the content and putting it back out and just having that touchstone in that moment. Because our staff had grown to know that we would rely in a way that was bold, proud and experience obsessed. So they knew that they could turn to us for that kind of guidance. And so now our business is back big time. And all of a sudden, it, the pendulum has swung in the far opposite direction. Hallelujah. We are so busy. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to a point that an organization that does not have a strong brand is not going to be able to sustain that. And so all of that work that we did then has unanticipated, unexpectedly turned into the magic bullet to get us through. And so truly it's a little bit less about, you know, when I think about marketing, we have visual cues. We've put up branding and signage for bold, proud, and obsessed values. They have a mark. They have a color palette. There's a brand guide that goes with that feeling and those values but we have moments that we find in the hallways and signage and we always are looking for interesting swag to put it on and it's really important that we indoctrinate new staff in the right way and that it's big big lift on hr to make sure that people coming in understand what they're getting into it doesn't make much difference if we're not starting with our staff and starting on the inside Because our guests will only feel it and know it if they experience it firsthand. And that will be through the employee experience. So if a college is looking to boost its overall public image,
0: what's your best advice for them? Especially considering a lot of colleges have smaller than ideal budgets, quite frankly. The resources are actually shrinking with declining enrollment. So
1: what's like their biggest bang for their buck? In my opinion, now being, you know, this far into post pandemic life and into my career, I think the biggest bang for your buck is surveys and find enough people to be statistically relevant in your key audiences. So talk to your staff and talk to your alumni and talk to your current students and let them tell you where you are. And find the moments that are really special and that are different. There are lots of colleges across the region, the nation, the world. People have their choice. So what makes you really special? Let your audience tell you what it is. You don't have to sit there and speculate and be like, oh, well, we have a great view or our communications department is better than anyone in the world. Obviously, which, Especially the faculty. I mean, obviously. <laughs> it's like there's one in particular who knocks it out of the park with that. But... Find that moment and that key differentiator that helps you build your brand values out of that. I mean, the, the data is all right there. And and those surveys, we use a third-party administrator for our employee survey. Anonymity is incredibly critical to us. I would imagine within a college setting, there are lots of people who know how to do this already. The bandwidth exists. And so find the moments Curate the questions to be statistically relevant. Make sure you get enough responses, but categorize them in the groups and your audiences that are really important to your future and let them tell you what they think. They're dying to tell you. We do
0: employee engagement surveys where, in fact, we just finished a round of it and they are anonymous and they are conducted by a third party. So I think that part is probably happening in other universities as well. Okay. You identified current employees current students and alumni as being the three biggest stakeholders, and I would agree. But tell me about this idea of the prospective student. So think of your high school students and think of the adult who maybe wants to come back for some kind of credential, full degree, or something else, some kind of program for reskilling or upskilling. Where do you see them fitting into how that shapes the brand?
1: Well, straight away, I would say that prospective students... Are in high school and prospective students who are adults seeking to return for some additional credential are completely different audiences who need to be spoken to maybe through the same vehicle, but with completely different messaging. And that would be driven by the brand value. What is the value to this particular institution that serves a student who is 17 and thinking about their life post high school? What is the value that serves the student? who is 35 and has two kids and is thinking, oh man, if I'm ever going to build a life for this family, I'm going to need this credential and that credential. It's a very different proposition. They're totally different stages of their their own education life cycle. But the process is the same in that you identify the value that speaks to these folks. And then maybe you do a YouTube video or series of videos that speaks to the brand values for that audience. So for the 17-year-old What is it about your institution that is exciting? Maybe you have like a really, truly beautiful campus. That's super exciting. Maybe if you are dedicated to being a smaller campus with a more personalized and one-on-one relationship, focus on it. If you are a campus that specializes in a particular area of study that is uniquely yours, especially in that region, focus on it. I mean, my kids who are almost in high school, and younger, YouTube is their number one resource for information. Hard stop. And it doesn't matter how I feel about it. It's just, there's your data point. YouTube is it. And so if you're not there with compelling video, and by the way, that does not mean you have to invest bazillions of dollars. You need a partner who's understanding your vision your brand value, and who will compellingly create that on your behalf. And really, I, I feel like in many institutions, there's someone in there who is so excited to champion this. Let them do it and see what happens. And it, here's the thing, if it stinks, you start over. But what if it's great? Okay, Sarah, you just alluded to one of my favorite topics for
0: this podcast, which is money spent. So tell me, is there any way or any advice or guidance you can give to the marketing department for about how much percentage or dollars they should be putting on brand
1: development? That is a really tough question. And I think it's probably hard for me to answer because although I do have nonprofit experience, I do have government affiliation experience, I do have for-profit and franchise experience, I do not have higher ed experience. So I don't know what the rhyme and reason is necessarily behind it. However, I can say this for sure, with any marketing plan, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, my favorite F word is frequency. It's frequency. And The reason is, if you are building a brand and building a message, it will go exactly nowhere if no one sees it, hears it, feels it. And that idea of frequency can come in terms of impressions. It can come in terms of experiences. It can come in terms of other touchstones. And are you having alumni call perspective students who are interested in going to the same field? Are you having, of course, the digital interaction It's not hard anymore to follow people digitally and it's not that expensive either. You know, are you making sure that people who are your customers now are going out and that they're feeling your brand too, your current students, because they are going to go out and be absolute brand ambassadors for you when they go home, they talk to their families, they talk to their friends, they talk to their parents. It really, it's that frequency that's going to matter no matter what.
0: When we spoke before, you had a quote that I just want to pull out and and kind of talk about now. You said, I can't spend my way over that noise. Tell me about what you meant by not being able to spend your way over noise.
1: It's a hard lesson learned, Sarah. Frequency is fabulous and it's not worth investing if you don't have the right frequency to activate a campaign on the right level. However, you do, there needs to be a general awareness of, a situational awareness of what else is going on in that media marketplace. So, for example, we have done things that, I mean, the most recent one is launching a campaign knowing that it would be simultaneous with midterm elections. So I know that rates are going to be skyrocketing because eyeballs are going to be very, very precious I can't spend my way over that noise and therefore I'm not going to try. Instead, I I will back up. I will reconsider my position. I will very intentionally move my campaign around to accommodate that. Now, that sounds lovely. Sometimes it happens that these things pop up in an emergent way or a crisis situation and it just overruns your campaign. Okay, great. So, that stinks, but it does happen, then you need to really be able to rely on the backstop of frequency. Okay, this broadcast campaign just took a total face dive into the dirt because of this critical thing that happened and is taking up all the news cycle bandwidth. Okay, so what's the next layer? Are we doing a direct mailer? Are we calling people? Are we following them digitally? Are we Geofencing them. Are we, where are we finding these folks? And so that's when that multi-layered campaign comes in because even if something happens that is unanticipated, you'll be able to respond to it in a way that is meaningful and will still have some teeth. It stinks when that happens. Sometimes it does. But when you are able to predict it, you got to move around it. You just, you can't plow through that. It's a waste of money. All right. So
0: spend smarter.
1: Not harder. 100%.
0: Yes. So let's picture the type of college that maybe resources have been cut. Perhaps their marketing budgets have been kind of tightened up. What advice do you have for those folks who are looking to advocate for more funding and saying, listen, we can't go cheap on our brand. This is just vital. What sort of, you know, mentor guidance would you offer them?
1: The first thing I thought when you said that is, What's your relationship like with the people that you're pitching to? If you're going in cold, it will be challenging. The way to build trust over time is through vulnerability. Vulnerability builds trust. And if you don't have a trusting relationship with the group who you're pitching to, it's going to be very hard to get to convince anyone to spend more money because it sounds like a great idea. If you know that you're planning to go in with a full pitch, I would seriously recommend making it a long game and starting the process by making sure that your relationship with the group or whomever you're pitching to is very transparent and very strong and that they will listen to you over time. And you can start that just by dropping in and saying, Hey, you know, I've been thinking about this. I've got some ideas. I'd love to talk to you more about it. When can we have some time? And you don't have to come in guns blazing with the full pitch ready to go. But start curating that in the background. Take their feedback. Let them be part of the process. Create buy-in before you need it and build that trusting relationship over time so that when you get to the point where you're saying, I'm going to need 25% more next year, it's not in the dark. It's not arbitrary. It feels like it could have been anticipated. And there's just a lot more backup to why we need this. And it, it feels like a much longer game And, you know, think of yourself in their position. If you're an administrator who's in charge of monitoring your budgets, do you want someone coming in cold and saying, ooh, I'm going to need a 25% bump next year? No, you're like, are you
0: insane? Like, why? That always goes well. Right. I, everyone gives me 25%
1: more when yes, I ask Sarah, for Yes, Sarah, you it. may have it. Okay, <laughs> great. Thank you so much. Why didn't I ask for 30?
0: And I'm assuming you're going in and you're making your case based on data, too. You're saying, hey, here's the past successes on this. This is, And if we do more on this, I can guarantee you we'll
1: continue to build on that. Completely. And that data really, and now we're kind of back to surveys, that data will be handed to you on a silver platter from the people who have been there, done that. They are Desperate to give you their opinion. I mean, people love to give you their opinion, especially when they don't, when they know that it's anonymous and they can just go nuts. So let them do that. And in a way that really gives you, you have to force yourself into a space where you are seeking actively and accepting a very 360 feedback kind of mentality. And that is a scary place to be because. You don't know what you're walking into, but that's the only way that you will find your way out is to hear the truth from each of these audiences and go, okay, we are nailing it at this and we are stinking at that. And so how do you amplify what you're doing really, really well and how do you modify where you're falling on your face and can be better? So I'm hearing
0: you say that the best way to start is to know what your baseline is and do these anonymous surveys with your key stakeholders. Okay, so that's what we should be doing more of. We start there. What should we let go of? Mm. What should we stop doing that really – maybe it's something that's related to technology. Maybe it's just people's priorities post-pandemic. What do you think? Is there anything that colleges can say, hey, let's just not put our time and effort on that as much anymore?
1: I love that question because it really forces you to think globally about what you are doing now and what can you lose. I think that takes a hard, you need to take a hard look at your plans right now, your activations, who are you talking to, what is the process right now, and look through, frankly, that feedback from various groups and find out where it's just falling short. And again, be willing to say, okay, we got to stop that. You know, time that I spent in, say, fundraising and development, there were a lot, I've been in spaces where there have been a lot of campaigns running simultaneously that were all sort of similar but different and it just felt kind of chaotic and it just, it was not unified and it was scattered approach. No one was winning in that scenario. If you don't have a complete view of where you're going, like as a unit, right, the whole entire college brand? Where are you going? It's going to be really challenging to make it work. And I think I would say, you know, things that feel scattered or half-baked, just drop them. If you can't do it right, if you can't do it with the right amount of frequency, if you can't do it in a way that is measurable and tangible on the back end, just stop. Take a breath, reanalyze, build that trusting relationship with the people that you have to report to, and then move forward together.
0: Okay, I want you to put on your mom hat on top of your marketing hat. <laughs> you mentioned your kids. They're going to be in college, and you're going to be paying that tuition check before you know it. What's it, the
1: type of brand that you would seek out for your children? This is a really unique question for me, and here's why. I went to a state school. I went to uw Claire. I went there because I grew up in a family that did not necessarily They did not have, my parents did not have traditional four-year college experiences themselves. And so when other families were going to campuses and doing site tours and visits, I had no idea what that meant, why you would do that. I didn't know. My husband, on the flip side, had more acumen from his family in that sort of sense. But he also knew in high school that he wanted to be an engineer. And he was wanted to go to school to be an engineer because he was going to be an engineer so he went to school to be an engineer and now he's an engineer. I mean it's just very pragmatic. And thank goodness for people like him because they make things like this possible. I throw great parties. Also valuable.
0: <laughs> we basically had to go into calm because there wasn't anything else left I and we talk word. a lot. I
1: do the words. I recently had to dis- had to answer a question that said describe your work as though you're talking to a five-year-old. And I think my answer was something along the lines of, I use words to help people feel good about their work and then they want to do more work. (laughs) Like, I use my words. Anyway, as I look at our kids, it's really interesting because I recently realized just from, through that mom lens, I needed to back off. And when I say that, my oldest daughter in particular is wired very much like me. And looking back on it, I wish that I would have been smarter about the whole college arc, and I just wasn't. And so, I'm, you know, the pendulum sort of swinging the other way, and I'm, like, way overcompensating and pushing her. She is 14. Like, she will we're not there yet. And I realized I really needed to back off on her because I also know that she doesn't know what she wants to do, and that is a pressure point for her. And that I think that's a pressure point for a lot of students her age is – feeling like they have to go to this four-year university, but for what? It's very intimidating. If I'm a brand, if I'm a college brand, my opportunity might be to look at what I do really well in terms of coursework and course offering and feel like you're getting really narrow in promoting exactly what kinds of jobs you can get after doing this course. Because that's what I see from her is, well, I'm, I don't know, I might want to do this, I might want to do that. And She doesn't see it leading to anything. I think that narrative really has to be drawn out of, like, if you do this program at this school, you can end up with a job like this. And ultimately, at 14, 15, 16, I think most kids are thinking, like, how do I live the lifestyle I want to live? This generation is so uniquely wired, I hope, I think, to take a work-life balance to a place that maybe you or I had to, you know, get kicked in the teeth a couple of times to realize we needed. I see this with young people that I hired to be on my team who are in their early 20s. They are so coded to integrate a work-life balance that just like, oh my God, I love it. It makes me so happy and hopeful for future generations. But for kids like my daughter, she has no idea what she wants to do. If you want her to come to your school, you need to start talking to her about experiences and about life after school. So that clear career pathway has to be
0: articulated by the university. That has to be forefront at their narrative. So, even if you're thinking this area or that major, you all of these programs must lead
1: to some sort of paying gig. That's exactly right. How do I end up with being able to pay my bills at the end of the day, right? And Similarly, similar but different, like my son, my second child, is I look at him and I see my husband. And if you tell me he's not going to be an engineer, I will say, okay, great, sure, whatever. He's clearly defined for that. And so that's the other opportunity is to curate these students and these young people, or I should say any future students, into people who know what they want and people who don't know what they want Career-wise, but maybe have a sense of what they want experience-wise. And they have to be able to trust that the place they've
0: chosen for their academic study will develop them with a skill set that's
1: employable. They have to trust that the place that they go for academic study will deliver on their promise of their values. Yes, that's exactly right.
0: Uh, I just really wanted to thank you for your time today and all your insights. And I can't see, can't wait to see where we go with this. Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. To support the cause of the Affordable College Experience, visit us at highlevelleadership.com. Read our blog and join our email list to get connected. Follow us and leave a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Let's get down to college business.